Welcome to Books and Authors with Carrie Barber, the podcast where we talk to authors about their new books. I'm your host, Carrie Barber. Find us online at booksandauthors.com. That's bksandauthors.com. This episode of the podcast begins a special series in which I talk to people in the book business who are not writers. You'll hear from a literary agent, an editor, a publicist, and today, a book critic. She's a contributing editor to Lit Hub. Her reviews can be heard on NPR and many other places. She invented the Friday Reads hashtag. Beth Ann Patrick has been involved in so many aspects of the book world, it's hard to narrow down her work to just one role. She's a very smart reader, writer, and observer, and I'm thrilled to have her on Books and Authors today. I started by asking her to describe her work. You know, as of 2015, this is a great question to start with, Carrie, because I really um, have thought a lot about it, and I have begun to describe myself as a writer, critic, and author. That is what I am. That is who I am. That's what I do. In the publishing world, I think my specific title is, although I'm known as a critic and a book reviewer, a lot of publishers will refer to me as a tastemaker. And that the reason that that is important is not because it's, you know, a lovely compliment or anything, but because it kind of is an umbrella term that does describe all of these things that I that I've done and do now. You know, I review books, I recommend books, I talk to people, I connect people, I talk books up, I, you know, make sure I know what's going on, what's coming ahead, you know, all of that. So, you know, although my my action, my my um the, the actions that I do are really about writing and editorial and content. Tastemaker is not a bad way uh, to uh, to describe uh, my entire career. Yeah, I like that. It kind of encompasses it all. It, it does. It does. It, 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 I don't want to feel like sort of an emeritus professor, though. <laughs> You know, like a a tastemaker. I don't want to sound like a you know I don't know a, a like a, a famed designer who who's you know best years are, are behind or anything like that. Um, you know, right now I am just so excited about what I'm doing because I am combining a lot of writing about books and interviewing authors along with doing more personal writing, both nonfiction and fiction. So for me, it's a uh, a wonderful time to say all of the things that I've worked on and learned about and all of the people that I've met along the way are, are contributing to this more personally and individually creative time for me. I know you recently started working as a contributing editor at Literary Hub. Can you tell us a little bit, just because that site is pretty new, can you tell us about that and what are you doing for them? I would love to tell you more about Literary Hub, um, Lit Hub, as it's known informally. First of all, uh, I am a contributing editor, and the contributing editor masthead at Lit Hub is quite intimidating. I kind of think of myself as being the smallest dot on a matrix. You know, it's it's Alexander Chi and Roxanne Gay and Oscar Villalon and and so on and so forth. And you know, then there's Beth Ann Patrick. What's she doing there? No, I'm I'm kidding. But uh, all of us as contributing editors, uh, our real duties are to write 
a couple of pieces a month. I know that's um, what I'm doing. I can tell you more about that in a second. Others may be writing more frequently, but also to use our position on that masthead as a way to talk about the literary hub and what it is and why it's there. And a couple of things about that very quickly, you know, it was spearheaded by Morgan Entrican, um, the publisher at Grove Atlantic, because he saw a real lacuna, if you will, for good literary content. Um, a lot of the content online, and I've either started or encouraged or contributed to a lot of it, can be really focused on reading and selling books and sometimes more commercial work. And not to say that there isn't a lot of discussion on all kinds of places from shelf awareness to Publishers Weekly to Book Riot to the Daily Book Beast to BuzzFeed Books and so on. It's just that LitHub is only about the more serious side of literature, not the unfun side, just, you know, literature that is, you know, thinking about uh, ideas, issues, themes um, in, in, in a more focused way. That's really all that it means, you know, to be more serious. Uh, there's lots of fun stuff on there. Uh, as I said a minute ago, I wanted to tell you that the two things I'm doing, at least for the foreseeable future, are big book lists on interesting topics, like my first one on the new loser lit. I just finished one about the Bloomsbury fascination that many people have based on Nora Vincent's new novel, Adeline. And I'll work on several more in months to come. I'm also doing author Q&As, which of course, you know, you and I both love to do. So that's my role there. And what I wanted to encourage everyone to do with Lit Hub is you might not go there every day, but Lit Hub sends out a daily email full of links, and it's just one of the best I've ever seen, which is why I wanted to get on board there. You have seen the publishing business change a lot in your years in the in your various roles. Can you talk a bit about where you think we are now and what the prognosis is? Kind of what are you excited about? Maybe what are you despairing about? It's such a great question. And it's such a tough question, but I think I, I, I at least have some opinions. You know, one of the things I'm most excited about ab above everything else is that there's still just all kinds of terrific stories coming out. There's all kinds of writing. Um, one of the things I've been saying in interviews and to people in the past, I would say, year is that one of the things I've discovered is that writing is not in trouble. I believe reading is. We can talk about that separately. But what I, when I say writing is not in trouble, that doesn't mean that you know the publishing business isn't having a hard time. It doesn't mean that bookstores don't have challenges. It means that there are still people who want to get stories put down. They want to tell their stories. They want to tell other people's stories. They want to create new imaginary worlds. And the really specific thing I'd say about that, Carrie, is that uh, I just finished a review yesterday. Um, I'm reviewing for NPR books um, every month now, mostly mysteries and thrillers. And I, I don't know if this is the way it'll be phrased in the review, but one of the things that I put down in my notes is that it's so wonderful when you are looking at books critically to come upon a plot that actually surprises you. That doesn't mean that it's something no one's 
ever, ever done before, because it's really hard to claim that considering how many books there are out in the, you know, the world. But when you come upon something that's fresh and different and, and from a new perspective, it gives you such hope that what we love about reading and what reading can do for us, for our brains, for our psyches, all of that, that that, that is alive and well and absolutely uh, got all kinds of new possibilities because of the various different technologies that we have, the new ways we have about thinking uh, about business and collaboration, all of that stuff. So I, I do have a tremendous amount of hope. Some might say she's a cockeyed optimist, but you know, that that's me. I agree with you. I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, you, you still run, people are still do, writing great stuff and r- writing really fresh, smart stuff. And whether I bought it as an ebook or as a, you know, who knows what that the business side is sort of a different question, I think. But yeah, say more what you, you said you think reading is in trouble. Can you say a bit about that? Several people I know in the industry in different uh, sides of it have mentioned in conversations over the past couple of years, wow, there's so much great TV right now. I'm reading less because I'm watching all of these stories and I'm completely caught up with them, caught up in them. And on one hand, I think that's great because there is amazing writing and amazing storytelling going on in the the. TV world with all of these, you know, different channels and, you know, cable companies and HBO and Showtime and Hulu and even Amazon with Transparent, which is a fabulous show, you know, the Amazon original. But at the same time, it is not the same to watch a story as it is to read a story. And recently someone said, I don't remember who it was, so forgive me person out there, but reading is absolutely the most direct way of that we have of connecting one mind to another. It's almost as if you've plugged a firewire from your brain into someone else's brain. And even if we could mind read, which, you know, right now we can't reliably, as far as I know, although I live close to the CIA, who knows? <laughs> it, you know, it, even if we could, if you're reading someone's mind directly, that's not a story. That's not something with a shape. That's not something with meaning. That's not something that is layered and complicated. And also there's all kinds of things, you know, like sleight of hand that are used in, in great stories. So it isn't the same as mind reading, but it is a way into someone's consciousness. And when I where, where I'm getting to with saying all of that is... I worry because we have all of these other things that we're paying attention to, TV, movies, music, you know, games, um, things on, you know, things like Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram and all of these other things that capture us, sometimes with words, sometimes with images, sometimes with both. And we're not remembering to give ourselves over to intense, focused solitary reading, which is different. Do you think book reviewing has changed much in the years that you've been doing it? Speechless. I'm speaking because that's, that is another important question. It's a great question, but it's also very, very important because it has changed so, so greatly. Uh, 
I started reviewing about 15 years ago. And I started reviewing for very small places. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of resources. They, you know, the internet was sort of just coming along. And you know, I made sure that I joined the National Book Critics Circle. I'm very happy and proud to be a member there. And one of the things I think that's great about the NBCC is it recognizes that book reviewing is something specific and different from just recommending a book or, you know, putting together a list and saying, go buy these, you know, at your local store. And so that's why I think the NBCC continues to have a really strong membership base uh, because doing a review, writing a review of a book is something that takes time. It takes a special kind of reading. It takes a special kind of thought and you know, you can, sometimes you dash off a review that you're very happy about. Sometimes you have to really wrestle with your thoughts to get them on the page. One of the biggest things that, you know, there are two things, there are probably more, but the two that I really want to um, talk about that are really leaping to my mind are venues for publication and length. So when I started reviewing books, most reviews were fairly long. People didn't worry too much about space. You know, newspapers were still publishing, you know, nice fat thick sections and, you know, people wanted to fill up columns in newspapers and print magazines. So, you know, a book review might start at 750 words and go on to a couple of thousand or even more. <laughs> the New Yorker, you could <laughs> you know, go anywhere in those days. Um, but with the advent of real estate online, if I can use that term of jargon, things got much shorter. And at first, everyone thought, well, you know, that's just online. Online, they do, you know, crappy short reviews. But as we've seen, the publications, the print publications have followed suit. Column inches have been cut again and again and again in all major newspapers and magazines. And for instance, uh, years ago, I wrote very few, but a couple of reviews for People magazine. And, you know, at that point, you wrote a review. It was pretty meaty. You know, it could be 500 words if it were a lead review. Now the book page is one page in People each week. And the reviews, some of them are 30 words. That doesn't mean they're not good. Um, Kim Hubbard is a superb editor, and she has a great stable of people who are really, really smart readers. But boy, is that short. So that's one of the... Yeah, and there's four... There's four reviews usually on that, that one Exactly. Page, right? There's four or even more. And the irony about that is it used to be, and I remember hearing this when I got to AOL's The Books Editor in 2004, people would say, well, online, you just write these little short things. That's not a review. You know, a review is, you know, something that's got scope and depth and all this stuff. Well, you know, now even the places that used to have long reviews, I mean, the New Yorker's doing that page of, I think it's called New and Noteworthy, I'm not sure, where there are four book reviews. And those are not very long at all. They can often be terrific. And I think that they select terrific titles, but they're certainly not what people used to regard as a book review. So length is the one thing. And then again, the um, venues for publication, which I touched on in saying, you know, column inches are being cut. It, again, uh, people for a long time believed that there was no way to actually write thoughtfully and publish well online 
for book criticism. We we know that that's not true. I mean, look, even if you count places that cannot pay writers, I'm thinking of the millions. The millions has superb book coverage. Their you know their book list for the year is something I and many other critics look to again and again. They run long, thoughtful essays on um, everything from literary analysis to book reviews to author profiles, uh, and there are plenty of other places too. Um, and I. My mind, of course, is going blank because I'm trying to think of them. But now we know that it's not the medium. We know that it's the message you're trying to send. If you write a good book review, if you write good literary criticism, and you put it up in a form where people can access it and read it, that does now that's the third problem, not the um, change, but the problem is do people want book reviews? Do they want to read them? I think that's kind of separate, Carrie. <laughs> yes, it's well, I find that I often get to the end of a review and I think, but but how did you like the book? <laughs> what did you think? It's it's just a summary, you know, it's a plot summary. And I'm like, I, I don't want a plot summary. I want to know what you smart critic thought of the book, you know? Well, and that is something too, that I think it, it's, that's not necessarily a change. But I think because so many new voices, book bloggers, book reviewers, um, people who write about books in different ways, all so many of them have come up with the um, online change and in, in the digital media revolution that we've learned to trust some voices. For example, uh, some of the, the critics and people that I've talked to recently were among the earliest book bloggers like Lizzie Skernick, who now you know has That Should Be a Word out as a book, but also publishes reprints of classic YA. And Lizzie her voice is unmistakable. Her opinions are completely firm. She People know that she is not going to steer them wrong. There are other book bloggers like that. Um, Maud Newton, Ron Hogan, Sarah Weinman, whose voice in the mystery and thriller world is completely trusted. Uh, I'm trying to think of you know some other good examples. But you know, it's funny because I said to you a couple of minutes ago, gee, are, do people want to read book reviews? On one hand, a lot of people will say just what you told me. They'll say, I don't want to read a plot summary. I don't want a book report. I want an opinion. And I think part of what's died out is the predominance of the book report, whereas people like James Wood and Ron Charles, um, my editor at the Washington Post, and Carolyn Kellogg at the LA Times... Uh, Lori Herzl at the Minneapolis Star Tribune, um, Connie Ogle in Miami. There are a lot of people who, uh, a lot of critics I know who have really clear, strong opinions and writing styles that match. And they are still being read. People, everybody knows what Ron you know, Charles says about a book or what Jane Chabateri has just put up at BBC online. Uh, so there are People are saying, this is what we want. Don't just tell us what book, a book's about. We want to know what you think about it, where it fits in. And so really voicey, smart criticism um, still has a place. Are there any conferences that you would recommend for 
writers, critics, other book professionals, where, where do you sort of dip into the community? Are, are there things that are important to you, uh, meetings and, and conferences that you make sure to get to each year? Oh, that is such a, a wonderful thing to ponder because it does change for me. It has changed for me. For example, for several years um, b- back in the mid I guess you would say, or whatever we call the first part of this 21st century, it was really important for me to go to the O'Reilly Tools of Change for Publishing Conference, uh, which sadly is no longer um, being held. I loved that because it was so many smart people who had toes to use that digit you mentioned in tech, in business, in content. One of them, and I don't think it was the first, it was the first that I went to, however, was keynoted by Margaret Atwood. And Margaret Atwood is wonderful on so many levels, but I will never forget listening to that keynote address in her very dry Canadian sort of, you know, accent, she kept coming back to the notion that writers need to be paid. And this is what she said. I'm not going to be able to replicate, you know, her voice, but she kept saying, writers need to be able to get their cheese sandwiches. And what she meant by that was twofold, and everyone got it. One is that writers need money for food and sustenance. And the other was that writers pay more attention. We love what we do. We're passionate about what we do. And so we don't pay much attention to what we eat while we're working. We just grab a cheese sandwich. And the fact that she was able, and there's more, I mean, I could go on, but I won't. She was able to encapsulate so much in that funny image of a solitary writer at her desk, you know, grabbing a simple cheese sandwich. That shows you how wonderful she is, but also how um, great it was to be in that kind of company. So I do like to seek out conferences, conventions, workshops, where there are people with a lot of different perspectives on the industry and not not just people who think it should be one way. And a couple of those that I find very useful are book festivals, some of the larger book festivals. I'm always at Virginia Festival, the book. And I like that because Charlottesville is a town where you can really feel the collision of academia and art um, closely. So that's one way I, I get some nourishment for this side that I'm talking about. Another that I just went to for the first time, but hope I'll be able to attend again in the future is Winter Institute, which is very, very um, different. It's a beautiful week-long conference for booksellers, very high-level indie booksellers. And this year I went as press. It was held in Asheville, North Carolina. And the reason I found that important and, and what I would encourage other people to do is seek out things with booksellers attending because it totally changed my perspective on what's happening in that arena. You know, bookselling is definitely being challenged, but it's by it, it's not dying at all. In fact, it seems to be having a sort of renaissance if you know of some in some ways. And really seeing the influence of those booksellers on which books get held up and which books you know get put in the hands of other people. That was fascinating. So um, anytime you can go to something and meet booksellers, I think that's a great thing. 
And finally, because I, I don't want to go on, you know, too much about this, uh, I also like to make sure, that, um, speaking of booksellers, that I think about the regional shows in the fall, um, the Southern Independent Booksellers Association show, New England, um, you know, the, the Great Lakes region, or I'm getting that wrong, forgive me, ABA, uh, but all of those, because they show you how different it can be around our country, what people are interested in, in other regions, you know, do they love local authors? Do they tend to gravitate more towards bestsellers and so on and so forth? There are so many perspectives out there, but I haven't really, uh, the National Book Critics Circle annual meeting and, you know, the, the, the things that go on there are great. I, I haven't attended in a couple of years and I, I'll tell you, I'd love to see something new spring up. Um, I, I am really interested in the binders movement from Facebook, the binders full of women writers. And this year will be their second conference. I did not attend the first one, but when I went to uh, the Associated Writing Programs Conference in Minneapolis this year, AWP, the, I, I really found that I made some unforgettable contacts and had some unforgettable conversation at the Binders Party at that conference. Well, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you, Beth Ann Patrick, and thank you so much for coming on Books and Authors. Oh, thank you, Carrie. This has truly been a pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. Again, that was Beth Ann Patrick, critic, commenter, tastemaker in the publishing world. This is the first installment in a special series in which I talk with people in the book world other than authors. If you like this show, please subscribe to it on iTunes and leave a review. It helps a lot. And don't forget to spread the word to your book-loving friends. I'm your host, Carrie Barber. Thanks for listening to Books and Authors. Books and Authors.